Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 73, it's March, there's a crazy amount of sports shit to talk about, we got the MLB lockout, free agency potentially about to happen, NFL free agency, and it is March Madness, can't wait for this, and can't wait to talk about the one and only sponsor here at Fueled Supplement, or here at Business and Buckets, that is Fueled Supplements. It's a new year, and summer is right around the corner. That means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water, which means I gotta get my shit together. Summertime will be here before you know it, so get your summertime shine with Fueled Supplements, Advanced Thermogenic, and Feel Good Formula Showtime. Now, Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. Besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. So for optimal results, stack this with Counterattack and get yours exclusively at FueledSupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. You know, it's that time of the year. People have their new year goals or they're striving for that. They're prepping for summer. And if you're buying supplements, I say this all the time, but support small business, head to Field Supplements, stop going to the GNCs, the Costco's, and other places. You get high-quality products, good price. Check them out, fieldsupplements.com. So the NFL season's over, but the NFL is not quite done. We have the combine. We have everything and anything that's happening in a dramatic NFL offseason where a lot of things are about to go down, we have the tampering window, the free agency actually about to start. So we're going to start with some NFL headlines, talk UFC, talk basketball, get ready for March Madness Conference Championships, and all the great things that we have coming down. The first one being Calvin Ridley suspended for the rest of the next season, all of 22-2023 season, for betting on games. You know, he left because of personal reasons. And, you know, supposedly he put a Falcons in the parlay. He had put them to win, but still an athlete betting on games, right? There are issues with that. I I think the idea of him being suspended for a full year is pretty crazy, but they're trying to make, you know, a case for him, use him as like, hey, don't don't fucking do this as sports betting is becoming more common with the DraftKings and every, you know, all the other daily fantasy fan duels and everything else. So he didn't do a very good job of trying to hide it per se. But they're trying to make an example out of Calvin Ridley and the Falcons, you know, issues continue to, to keep going. Let's see. We also have the Bengals putting a franchise tag on Jace, Jesse Bates, one of the their better defenders in the secondary, a guy that's going to be due for a massive payday, and they are opting to franchise tag him this year. The Niners are going to have Brian Greasy, ex-NFL quarterback, join their staff as a QB coach, which I'm assuming is going to be leveraging the Trey Lance situation. You know, Jimmy G expected to be traded or potentially moved after a disappointing finish to the season. And Trey Lance time to take over as they had given so much to get the pick with Trey Lance. So you would assume this is this is, you know, the matchmaker here. The Cowboys likely to re- release Amari Cooper as they're prepping for free agency, prep, prep, prepping for their final roster coming into the next year after an even more disappointing season um, than what the uh, 49ers had. 
The Browns are saying that they want to keep Baker Mayfield. You know, there's all this trade rumors, all this drama going on. Um, you know, you know, disappointing thing for Baker. He's always in the in the news, always on. You know, in the drama. Sports analysts like Colin Cowherd love to talk shit about Baker Mayfield. Um, but you know, they did give up a first round draft pick for him. Uh, they really haven't, you know, really helped him in a lot of magnitude of ways. So I don't think you could fully put the blame on Baker Mayfield. I have no idea what they could get in return for Baker Mayfield. I'm assuming they would want a first round pick, but uh, we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. But again, usually where there's smoke, there's fire. That's always my theme. Green Bay is keeping Rodgers. Reports say, although the Broncos, Steelers, and Titans are the favorites, uh, the teams that are involved. As a Steelers fan, I would love to have Aaron Rodgers. Is it a Steeler thing to do? Not really. And what's the haul that the Packers are going to expect in return? I don't think the Steelers are a team that's going to typically, you know, give up that amount of value. They're usually looking for stopgap quarterbacks, um, you know, veteran quarterbacks of the situation, potentially draft a guy, let him sit. You know, those are the type of situations that I would expect. But hey, Rodgers is rolling. Uh, you know, he's in his prime. He's coming off an MVP season. The teams, I'm sure, are going to be interesting and willing to give up a good haul. With the Combine starting this week, Malik Willis is slaying it with his big arm talent. Uh, has people ooing and eyeing. He's going viral with those big play, uh, with that big play arm. And this shouldn't be a surprise if you've tuned into what he can do. You know, he was with Auburn, transferred to Liberty, started, you know, building his NFL resume. There, there's no doubt in, in his arm strength and ability. Um, that that's definitely not what teams are worried about. But for me, being a Steelers fan, there's a lot of rumors of us of the Steelers potentially drafting him. Um, and I don't know, you know, he's more of a project, a guy that needs to sit back, watch, watch some, some tape, sit back behind a veteran quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. You know, lots of drafts previously, a lot of first round QB talent. I think at most we will see two this year. But mock drafts, analysts, we're all over the place. Teams, you know, free agency is about to happen. There's so many things that can happen. Uh, but th the big arm strength has been on full display. The Giants are potentially looking to move cornerback James Bradbury, a key piece to their defense, as they're getting ready to prep their final roster for the upcoming year. And a, a big-time playmaker that really makes a big difference with the big arm of Justin Herbert, the Chargers are expected to keep Mike Williams, I'm assuming they're going to do anything they can to keep him as he is a big playmaker. He helps stretch the field, open up opportunities for the rest of their offense. And they're going to need that in a very, you know, very tough division in the AFC West. With Amazon starting up their, their Thursday night football package this year, Kirk Herbstreet is going to be signing with Amazon to do Thursday night football. He is still staying with ESPN doing college football. So he's just adding more to his plate, getting a big payday here with Amazon. It'll be interesting to see who, see who they pair up with him uh, to try to you know pull in ratings, pull in views, and put a good down, a good production on. The Chiefs are franchise putting the franchise tag on Orlando Brown, a huge offseason addition to that offensive line to keep their 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 fran face of the franchise, Pat Mahomes, upright. I'm not surprised that the franchise tagging him. Uh, a guy that they can't, you know, they they gave up some some assets to get him. He performed well this year. You're not going to want to lose a, a piece like that. Russell Wilson and a fourth round draft pick traded to the Denver Broncos for Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, two first round picks, and a first, fifth round pick. 
Now, there is a lot to unpack here, as the Broncos were a potential rumor for Aaron Rodgers. That hasn't been the case. You would assume that Russell Wilson and the, uh, well, the Broncos are not going to be in that category anymore. But a lot of people I've seen, you know, this has happened recently, a lot of social media feedback of, oh, man, the, the Broncos are waxing the Seahawks here. And if you look at all the big-time trades in NFL history, out the gate, I would assume the initial reaction is you can never get enough face value on paper in return for a franchise quarterback, especially a quarterback. I mean, it's not very old. He is 33, year, 33 years old, so basically in, a, in his male prime, in his peak, um, it, you know, how do you warrant that value? They're getting two first-round picks, a fifth-round pick, in the, and a fourth-round. No, they traded up a fourth-round. So they're losing a fourth, getting two first-rounds and a fifth-round. We have no idea what kind of value that can bring, but first-round picks are usually very coveted. Um, they get a quarterback, you know, more most likely a depth move. I doubt that they're planning on rolling out Drew Locke as a starter this year, but he is a first-round pick that, you know, is getting a, a second opportunity. They have a legit tight end one in Noah Fant, right? They're not going to keep Gerald Everett, so they, that's a position of need. Uh, they're also having a veteran leader in Shelby Harris come in, a proven guy who is an impact maker. So you are getting guys that can plug in right now, starting quality. You are getting a haul in return. But, I mean, you look at these on papers, the initial reaction is never going to be, you know, I'm sure people are going to give the Broncos like an A, A plus, and a trade grade, and probably the Seahawks like a C. But I assume when we look back at this in a couple of years, it's going to look better. I think the Seahawks did a good job. And, you know, all this Russell saying I'm not leaving, you know, living here in Seattle, Seahawks fans are oblivious of it. You could tell there was issues with the way the team was going, the front office, the coach and the quarterback. And I really think it came down to, as I had mentioned before, Pete or Russell. And for some reason, they're choosing to, to keep Pete and his squad, get rid of Russell and the rest. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best move. We'll see what happens. Um, but people forget that the, the Seahawks have kind of been a dumpster fire of an organization pre-Russell Wilson. You know, that Russell Wilson came in. Pete Carroll came in. The the, uh, um, the Legion of Boom became a thing. And once that had crumpled, things have started falling apart. We're getting back to the Seahawks of old. Uh, but the future will only tell. The Packers have placed a franchise tag on Devontae Adams. As they prep for the decision on Aaron Rodgers, you would assume that's the first step. I'm sure he's not going to want to sign unless Devontae Adams is there, his number one target. Um, and they're not going to be able to afford with the salary cap him and Devontae Adams. So they're franchising, going to franchise take him to get the Brit, you know, kind of have a bridge until they have more salary cap to be able to sign both. Aaron, uh, or no, the Dolphins have franchise tagged Mike Gusecki. Um, this is a guy that's performed pretty well, had good football. Uh, they're going to place the franchise tag on him to keep him around before they find out a contract, give Tua more weapons. Uh, Dalton Schultz franchise tagged as well for the Cowboys. Uh, this is a guy that really, you know, basically it was him or Blake Jarwin. Um, he really became the, the, the number one guy and had performed well for this offense. So they're going to franchise tag him. Chris Godwin of the Buccaneers franchise take as well. You know, they, they could say they franchise take them and still put a position where they are um, going to sign these guys. But typically with the cap before for free agency, um, they have a deadline with the franchise tag. So they are going to franchise the guy that really is a big piece, especially with the Antonio Brown issues. 
as well as the Jaguars franchise tagging Cam Robinson. You got to have protection up front for Trevor Lawrence. So that makes sense. Uh, the Seahawks just going through all kinds of moves. Uh, the Seahawks are releasing Bobby Wagner. Um, this is like one of the, the last guys remaining, right? He was the last guy. You could see this is a true starting over period for the Seahawks as they're releasing this guy, and he should be a very coveted asset after a high-performing year still in his 30s. Uh, he is a, you know, a, a true Hall of Fame middle linebacker. I'm sure he would uh, have a lot of suitors. I would, as the Steelers that need middle linebacker, definitely consider a, a guy like Bobby Wagner. Carson Wentz traded to the Washington, well, not the Washington football teams, the Washington Commanders uh, for a, uh, two third-round picks and will pay his full $23 million salary. Um, you know, really the Jim Ursay in the front office was not happy with what happened with, with how the season had transpired and how Wentz had performed. Uh, Washington's willing to take a flyer on him. The Colts do get something in return. I wasn't sure if they would get this much return, especially paying his salary. And I saw this by Phil Yates on Twitter. The commanders currently owe new quarterback Carson Wentz this year, 22 million in salary, a $6.3 million roster bonus next year, 20 million with a 6.2 uh, next, the year after that 21 million and a 6.2 in roster bonus. So they are paying arms and legs for Carson Wentz. But a quarterback desperate teams will do quarterback desperate things. And it's just wild, all these quarterback moves. I mean, you look at the AFC West now. They have Russell, Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, Derek Carr. Still waiting on Aaron Rodgers. What's going to happen there? But this offseason is just kicking off. We got all kinds of craziness going on here. And as a sports fan, I'm just let the chaos go. The Cardinals are cutting linebacker Jordan Hicks. This is a guy that has performed very well. Um, I'm I suppose that this would be for salary moves, right? Kyler Murray trying to push for a contract, uh, but a guy that should be coveted elsewhere as well. Ex-Steeler, ex-Raven, ex-military um, uh, veteran, Alejandro Villanueva officially hanging up the cleats and calling it a career. Probably a good thing coming with the edge rushers in the AFC North. He did not perform very well in Baltimore, so him calling it a career. Bravo, Mr. Villanueva. As a Steelers fan, you had some, some key years for us. Much appreciative. Washington, now that they owe Carson Wentz all this money, they cut Landon Collins. Uh, this is a guy that also should be coveted elsewhere. Still a good playmaker in the league. And more trades. Khalil Mack traded to the Chargers. We're talking Bosa. We're talking Khalil Mack for a second and sixth round pick. Obviously, the Bears not in a prime position to compete today. The Chargers are better moves to the to the AFC. That AFC West, Russell Wilson, insert Khalil Mack. Russell Wilson had to deal with a Bosa uh, in San Francisco and all those good Ed Rushers in the NFC West. Now he comes to the AFC West, has to deal with Max Crosby, has to deal with Bosa and Mack, has to deal with the Chiefs pass rush. Um, so, yeah, good luck with that, Russell Wilson. Um, the Bears are also releasing Tariq Cohen. I actually saw this headline and forgot about the guy. This is a guy that performed very high level, smaller running back, Darren Sproles-esque, right? Getting hurt, trying to fight uh, fight back from the injury. Had suffered uh, some issues with his physical, so the Bears release him. Uh, maybe a team will take a flyer on him. 
Uh, the Chiefs are allowing Tyron Matthew to become a free agent. It looks like they will not sign their star safety. I would assume the Honey Badger has many suitors. I'm assuming he does want quite a bit of money, so the teams that have the space to sign him, again, as a Steelers fan, in need of a safety, a match made in heaven, but I'm sure every team is convincing themselves that as well. I am surprised they're letting him go with all the receivers in the AFC West. And now, insert Russell Wilson. Um, the Browns are placing the franchise tag on tight end David Njoku, a guy that's kind of had an up-and-down career, right? They're probably trying to figure out, can we keep him, can we not? But we don't have a lot of tight end uh, op or a lot of other tight end players. So let's franchise tag him, give us some time to see what's going on. Uh, more tight end news as the Colts have, uh, the Colts tight end Jack Doyle officially retires. This is a guy that's been in the league for quite some time. A guy that's dirty down in the trenches, blocking, receiving, taking, you know, uh, hits to catch the ball. Uh, done a little bit of everything. So great career, Mr. Jack Doyle. The Steelers re-signed special teamer Miles Killebrew, a very off-season-like move for the Steelers that typically don't do a lot in free agency, although it technically hasn't started. Uh, but this is a guy that's performed very well. Their special teams the past really 10 years has, has lacked some big-time playmakers on the returning and, and the kickoff teams. Uh, but Miles Killebrew has been great, so he earns himself a contract. The Raiders releasing Corey Littleton, a guy that's played at a pretty high level as well. You know, the linebackers are kind of treated like running backs now. Their shelf life isn't very long. They don't get a ton of, you know, they don't get three contracts in an NFL span. And a guy like Corey Littleton that's played at a high level, Jordan Hicks and those other guys, Bobby Wagner, there's a whole carousel of linebackers going on right now. Uh, Travis Kelce's brother, older brother, Jason Kelce, uh, officially posting on social media that he will not be retiring. He followed it up with chugging a beer, which you got to love. Uh, but he is going to continue to play, uh, try to give the Eagles everything he has. I would assume he's got to be right at the end of his career, but great that he's coming back for another season. Reminds me a lot of Andrew Whitworth. Uh, the Titans actually signing a defender, uh, giving Harold Landry the bag, a five-year, $87.5 million contract. And when we look at PFF and how they grade um, linebackers right now, let's see. I guess he's an edge, huh? Edge defender. Let's see where he falls in. We'll do this throughout free agency, track how they're doing. Um, you know, the best grading skill that I, that I can relate to is um, – PFF personally, you guys might think differently, uh, but to me, this is really, you know, the best place to do it. Huh. It's not popping up. He's an outside linebacker. So you type in linebacker, nothing's popping up. Weird. Edge defenders. Well, I'll tune into that. But regardless, he had a great year, right? Obviously, they're signing him for a reason. Um, need to focus on that defensive unit, which obviously the coach knows oh so well. But he's getting the bag. He's staying in Tennessee. Speaking of, you know, linebacking carousels, the Patriots are releasing the guy that they signed, released, and re-signed, Kyle Van Noy, a guy that performs at a high level as well. He will be released from the Patriots, and I'm sure we'll have some suitors for cheap. 
He was ranked on PFF as the 16th best linebacker, which you think of the league, 32, you know, the top half of the league, um, and uh, rated really well in the cov- in coverage, which is surprising. Um, the league increases the salary cap 25.7 million this year for a grand total of 208.2 million. So some of those salary stricken teams, such as the Packers, you know, franchise taking Devontae, uh, dealing with Rodgers, maybe now they have an opportunity to do that, but that is increasing. And then the Jets owner, Woody Johnson, interested in buying EPL team, the Chelsea squad, which would be interesting. I'm sure, you know, all we need is him owning more sports franchises. Uh, but that would be a huge move for, for Mr. Woody Johnson. And then elsewhere in football news outside of the NFL, the USFL that's kicking off this year uh, had their re- schedule released. Uh, guys potentially you know, treat that as a spring farm system to get into the NFL showcase, get some film. Uh, when the AFL was a short-lived league, they did have some AFL guys translate to the NFL, so you never know. I looked at the USFL, looked at some rosters. There was not a lot of deep, you know, high quality names in the USFL, probably a lot of younger players, uh, but it'll be interesting to see there. There's, I believe like 10 teams. Let's see. Eight teams. Um, so it gives people, you know, hardcore football fans more to, more to root for. I haven't really got into like the AFL XFL. Sometimes you get some big names. Like if the XFL started up this year, which the rock is handling Dwayne, the rock Johnson, you know, AB plays for a team or something, you're going to tune in. So for me, it's all about the big names. I, you know, there's enough football in the NFL for me, uh, but the USFL is going to be kicking off, which which is exciting. And there's a lot of players that don't make the NFL that are high-quality players, so it gives these guys more opportunity, gives them a paycheck, good opportunity for everybody. But enough with free agency, man. We're going to talk MMA as shit is going crazy, we just had UFC 272. Some more fights announced. We will recap that and talk everything MMA. So, Drew Dober versus Terrence McKinney official. Terrence just finishing a dub. He's taking this fight on eight days notice. He said he's going to be ready to turn around quickly. He's he's taking a huge step up in competition. We're going to learn what T-Rex is all about. And I'm excited as a fight fan. Um, after the, the loss, Brandon Moreno parts ways with his longtime gym and from gym. Uh, there's no news on what he, where he plans to go and who he plans to train with, uh, but he is parting ways with them. Obviously took the loss, you know, looked himself in the mirror, uh, and, and wants to be better. Randy Brown versus chaos Williams book. That's going to be a banger for sure. Rob font versus Cheeto Vera in the bantamweight division. Um, a font who's been at the high level of the division Cheeto, who's trying to work his way up after the big win. And Frankie now gets a very, very high level opponent. And we'll see if he is contender worthy. Um, a fight that's been rumored a long time. Michael Chandler taking on Tony Ferguson, in my opinion, way too late on the Ferguson side, but you never know. Ferguson's a crazy motherfucker. Uh, maybe his chin is still there and he could last. But Chandler's been in some some big battles lately as well. It's going to be a fun one for fight fans. Uh, Robert Whitaker uh, and Marvin Vittori uh, button heads at UFC 275. That'll be in Shanghai. Uh, you know, Robert Whitaker coming from Australia, a little bit shorter of a flight. Uh, but this is going to be a fun one as well. It's great to see Robert Whitaker turning around quickly, uh, trying to get back in the win column after the loss to Israel. Izzy, 
Israel Adesanya. Uh, so this will be a fun one. I, I, I believe Robert Whitaker is definitely the better fighter, but hey, you got they got to fight to fight, right? Uh, Khabib. I like calling him Khabib. Uh, when all the Dagestanis win, I go, Khabib. Uh, but Khabib introduced into the Hall of Fame, deservingly so. Uh, what a history career he has had. Obviously doing Eagles uh, FC, uh, has the Eagles training facility, and really is just putting out a ton, a ton of quality talent that's really taken over MMA. So bravo, Khabib, Khabib, whatever you like to call him. And sadder news, Cain Velasquez denied bail after the whole situation with his daughter um, and and the abuser. Hate to see this. You know, obviously this will continue to go down uh, the justice system, uh, but it gets denied bail. So it will be interesting to see what happens here. Prayers up to Cain and his family. Uh, JDS Junior Dos Santos signs with Eagles F FC and will be fighting another ex-UFC fighter, Jorgen DeCastro, who's got some quick arms, uh, some quick hands. It'll be interesting to see in this fight what happens. Uh, you know, a lot of ex-older, uh, you know, almost potentially retired fighters fighting in these other promotions. But I'm sure this one will pull in some good views. And in the boxing world, Gervonta Davis to face Raleigh Romero in the lightweight fight May 28th. So summertime, seeing Gervonta Davis back in the ring and see what he can do. And for Eagles FC this weekend, it's headlined by Kevin Lee taking on Diego Sanchez. Ray Borg fighting again as well. Again, a lot of ex-UFC guys, a lot of over-the-hill guys. Um, but Kevin Lee trying to be kind of the face of that promotion. Um, we'll see what he can do against old man Diego Sanchez. The ultimate fighter one Diego Sanchez. The bloody, crazy motherfucking Diego Sanchez. Hey, I'll be tuning in. And then officially, finally, the most coveted MMA free agent, Kayla Harrison, re-signing with the PFL. For fight fans, that is a total bummer. You know, I'd have rather see that her with UFC or Bellator. Obviously, with Nunez loses, it complicates things, but has quality opponents. The problem is she fights at 145, 155. The UFC doesn't have a lot of heavy, you know, heavier talent there. Um, in Bellator, she could have fought Cyborg. So hopefully the idea of those super fights is is impossible and doesn't happen. But signing with the PFL definitely puts a dent in things. But she's going to be fighting, so we'll be tuning in. And then we had UFC 272 this past weekend. I went 6-3 and three in picks, getting that pick momentum going up, getting those parlays, we making that bread. And early on, we had quite a fight. We had Tim Elliott with a unanimous decision over Tagir Ulanbekov. And God damn it, I knew I should have picked Tim Elliott. He's my guy. I, I don't know what happened to me. I, I changed my mind. And Tim shut it down. And he showed me why I should have I should have picked Tim. And I'm fucking pumped for him. I love me some Tim Elliott. I wish I had the balls to pick him in this fight. I don't necessarily agree with this being a unanimous decision. I do believe that uh, Tagir won rounds two and three. The judging has been pretty bad lately. No surprise. Um... And I think they need to be on the same page, especially because just because you have a big moment like Tim Elliott did doesn't mean that you necessarily win the fight, right? Oh, he had a big moment round one to gear one round two, three. We're still giving it to Tim. Those other rounds are close. That's not how the official scoring works. So they need to start figuring this out because I've seen a lot of fights where I thought one fighter won 
two of three, but one fighter had a big moment and they're giving it to that big moment. Um, or they need to change the way the fucking fights are scored. That's, that's how I feel. Or open scoring, like Ariel Hawani has requested and talked about for a long time. Um, but yeah, you can't lose the next two rounds after the big round one and tip technically win the fight, in my opinion. Either way, happy for Tim Elliott. He gets the dub. You know, I was really shocked. I shouldn't be shocked. These little guys are great at this, right? It's like watching college wrestling. The better, the more crazy athletic classes, in my opinion, are like, you know, 135, 140, 150. Those guys are just able to do so much. But these guys' scrambling skill in the 50-50 positions was fucking bonkers. They were all over the place. One guy had it. The other guy flips over a reversal. You're like, holy shit. And um, I was honestly surprised at how much better Elliot looked in the wrestling and grappling department, especially to gear, right? Had Khabib in his corner. You could tell he was pretty pissed. You've never seen Khabib that animated uh, in the corner before. And uh, I thought it would go the other way, especially with Tagir being five years younger than Tim. You know, Tim's definitely revamped what he's doing. New teams, he looks really good. Uh, but I think Elliot's aggressiveness was just more of the difference in this fight. And that's typically the case for badass Tim Elliott. Statistically, Elliott landed 117 total and 79 significant strikes with three takedowns, but in nine attempts. And he had the knockdown compared to Tagir's 111 total, 90 significant, two takedowns and 10 attempts. So lots of attempts here uh, with this submission attempt. Now, Tagir has his five fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak. He's now 2-1 and one in the UFC. While Tim starts a new winning streak, he's 2-1 and one in the calendar year. He's got the mojo rolling. So what's next for these guys? Well, for Tagir, I could see someone like Tyson Nam or Francisco Figueredo, Divison's Brada. Um, and for Elliot, how about Rogerio Bontorin or Cody Garbrandt? That would be fun. I, I, we no one really knows what's happened with Cody. Is he staying in flyweight? He going back up? Like, I haven't heard anything. And then we had this fight, a, a little bit easier of a fight to predict. Umar Nurmagomedov with the first round submission via rear naked choke over Brian Boom Kelleher. And you know the bantamweight shows off its talent once again. Even though this fight was at 145 short term catchweight, Umar dominated. And he looks like the fucking real deal in the division. It makes you kind of wonder, like, okay, where could he go? What kind of competition and skill can he fight? And potentially, in my opinion, the second deepest weight class in the UFC. Now, Umar and Saeed, the two Nurmagomedovs in the same weight class, which is bonkers, and they both have looked good of late. Statistically, Umar, it only took him 21 total and 18 significant strikes with a takedown, and a submission attempt compared to Brian's one total and significant strikes. Now, Umar stays undefeated. He's 2-0 in the UFC, while Brian starts a new losing streak after winning two in a row. What's next for these bad boys? Well, I'd love to see Umar take a step up in competition for someone like Vic Victor Henry or Kyler Matrix Phillips. And for Brian, I could see him taking on someone like Casey Kenny or the the long-term vet, Rafael Asuncao. Either way, there's not a lack of fights in the bantamweight division. Now, heading into the prelims, that was just the early prelims. 
We had Nikolai Nugamaranu with a split decision over Kennedy and Shekwu. And here we go with the fucking judging issues again. I really wish they would change the the judging or, again, give us open scoring. Because after the Elliott fight, the judges took an extra long time. Like, the fight had been over. You're waiting for the decision. The, the announcer's like, hey, they're waiting to, like, really check these scorecards. And um, they just fucked it up. I completely disagree. I thought Kennedy easily won two rounds with more volume and cleaner strikes landed. Sure, he wasn't as aggressive as we've seen him. At the start of the fight, he was waiting for things to happen. But in my opinion, he definitely won this fight. So it was a great fucking fight. But the, the judging just blows my mind. So when we look at the stats, Kennedy had 97 total and 95 significant strikes. Compared to Nikolay's 81 and 64. So definitely Kennedy won the volume there. Um, and he had the takedown as well. Now, bummer for, for Kennedy. That's why you don't let it go to the judges. You have to have that aggressiveness back. But Nikolay definitely made a name for himself. I had no idea who he was. I didn't see his contender series fight. And he came in with some, some clean kickboxing. He's now on a three-fight winning streak. He's 3-1 and one in the UFC, including the contender series. You know, every time I say the records, I'm counting the contender series. I don't give a fuck. As a UFC fight. Kennedy's on a two-fight losing streak now after getting robbed, and now he's four and three in the UFC. Tough, tough break, man. So what's next? Well, for Nikolai, how about Marcin Pacino or Daun, uh, Daun Jun? And for Kennedy, maybe Isaac Villanueva or Shamil Gamzadov. He's going to need to get a fight. Uh, to get a win, to get back in that mojo, but he's still a young fighter. Lots of promising futures for these guys. And then we had a hell of a fight. Marina Rodriguez with a split decision over Jan Chignon. I still can't believe this fight wasn't on the main card. This was the prelim headliner. The winner of this fight is, is going to be fighting for the title, and both women are very high level. It was a close fight as expected, and after the judging being shitty earlier in the card, I was worried that they might not get this right and give it to Chignon, no offense. Uh, but Jan was definitely the faster fighter than Marina. But once she locked in, she had the bigger moments and bigger shots. I thought Rodriguez did. So Jan clearly won round one. I thought she looked to, you know, she probably thought she was going to be cruising to victory. Watching round one, I was like, oh shit, I'm about to bust my parlay right here. Not looking good. But Marina just let loose. You could tell her coaches like, hey, be you. She let her hands fly uh, with more than one or two punches at a time. In round one, it was just jab, jab, one, two, one, two. And then she started putting in those combos high, low. Shit really started opening up. Now, statistically, Marina landed 79 total and 72 significant strikes compared to Jan's 66 total and 56 strikes with two takedowns. Now, Marina, she's on a very, very impressive four-fight winning streak against the class of the division. While Jan is on a two-fight losing streak, although it's been against the ex-champ and now Marina, so, you know, really high-level comp. But what's next? Well, for Marina, I'd assume she gets the winner of uh, Rose and Carla. Unless Joanna doesn't come back with the new contract, she could potentially fight Wei Lei. I would assume they're going to do that rematch, but, you know, that's just my assumption. For Jan, I'd like to see her get the winner of Tisha Torres and Mackenzie Dern. 
all bangers here. There's a lot of fights booked in the division, so she might need to let some things shake out before she gets a fight booked. And after a two-fight losing streak, she's probably going to want to, you know, go practice some shit. In the main card, we had the big boys. We had Sergey Spivak with the first-round TKO over ex-NFLer Greg Hardy. And this was the last fight on Hardy's UFC contract. I'd assume the UFC experience is going to come to an end. He has crazy power. He just doesn't have any grappling or jujitsu. And this was easy, easy business for Spivak. Uh, statistically, Spivak, it only took him 17 total and 14 significant strikes with three takedowns compared to Greg's seven total and significant. You know, Greg had some momentum, had some good wins. It just doesn't seem like he's improved and has been on a skid. So, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what the UFC brass does. Spivak now starts a new winning streak while Hardy is on a three-fight losing streak and is four and five in the UFC um, with the no contest. So what's next? Well, for Spivak, I think he could take on Augusto Sakai or the veteran Andre Orlovsky. And if Hardy does fight in the UFC again, maybe he could take on a Jared Vandera or Chase Sherman who are also in win now mode as well. And then Big Mouth back in action. Kevin Holland with the second round TKO over Alex Cowboy Oliveira. I mean, the highlight of this fight was at the end of round one. Alex had gotten a takedown, gotten him in a choke. And uh, Big Mouth sitting there with thumbs up in the cameras like, yo, I'm good. Comes out in the second round and finishes the fight. And the first round was interesting. Alex had some moments. You know, he had the rear naked choke in after a transition, but it was at the end of the round. I think Holland knew that. I didn't think Holland looked as good as I expected in this fight, but he still got the job done. When we look at the stats, Holland had 51 total and 50 significant strikes with the knockdown compared to Cowboys 21 total and significant strikes with two takedowns and a submission attempt. Now Holland starts a new winning streak, returning to welterweight after losing two in a row with the no contest, and Alex has now dropped to four in a row. So what the fuck's next for these for these fighters? Well, I could see Big Mouth taking on a Tim Means or Nico Price, even though he called, called out the other cowboy, Cowboy Cerrone. I don't know, you know if he wants that fight or not, as he's right at the end of his career as well. Uh, but Alex could take on Claudio Silva or Carlston Harris, as he's now in, in desperation mode, win-now mode, to keep his fighting career alive. And then the parlay backbreaker, man. Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell, just a farmer boy from Arkansas, a rapper from Arkansas, the unanimous dis decision over Edson Barboza. And am I super, super shocked? No. Am I shocked at the dominance and the ability to not let Edson do pretty much anything? Yes. I mean, when Barboza got to throw his shots, they landed and with ease. But he didn't, you know, he was wide open for takedowns. It didn't look like he really had, had gone in there with the idea of defending Bryce's wrestling and grappling. It was more, let me knock this fucking guy out. And uh, Mitchell was able to keep the fight on the mat all three rounds. This was a big test for Bryce. He did well, but I'm interested to see how he will do against other fighters in the division that can wrestle because there is quite a few of them. So statistically, Barboza landed 23 total and 16 significant strikes 
compared to Bryce's 182 total and 34 significant strikes with the four takedowns. He was four for four in attempts. That's how easy it was for him. And the knockdown. So brutal loss for Barboza. At 36 years old, he's now on a two-fight losing streak after changing weight classes and hoping for different results. But he has fought the younger up-and-comers. Uh, while Mitchell stays undefeated, he moves to 6-0 in the UFC. So what's next? Well, for Barboza, I could see him taking on Andre Feely or moving back up since the idea of a title shot isn't really in the picture, depending how hard that weight class is for him. And for Mitchell, I'd love to see him take on Shane Burgos or Josh Emmett, Mr. Fucking Clean. But we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. Lots of good fights in the MMA world. And then we got to see RDA Gracie Octagon again, but not over Fazeev, who had to pull out. So this was the short-term fight against Renato Moicano, and he got the unanimous decision. Now, this fight was wild because it ended up being a five-round fight, which Moicano didn't even know when he accepted. And potentially, you could have thrown the case in for the, the corner to put the white flag in because RDA was smashing him. I don't know if RDA just, you know, was like, oh, I got this. I'm up three rounds. Let me chill. Because Moicano came in strong at the end and almost made it really, really interesting. But RDA looked, RDA looked great early. As, a, as an older veteran, you know, he really brought the fight to Moicano. Had some good exchanges, even though uh, Moicano had some good exchanges, even though he was getting his ass kicked as well. So although RDA clearly won, I'm an even bigger fan of Moicano. Moicano had the impressive win prior. You know, he, he, he showed his grit and determination in this fight, taking it short notice. Again, a five-round fight that he didn't even know. It just shows the heart and grit that he has. And I'm excited to see what this guy does in the future. But RDA still got it, man. Statistically, RDA landed 179 total and 137 significant strikes with five takedowns and a knockdown compared to Renato's 81 total and 76 significant. So RDA is now on a two-fight winning streak while Renato starts a new losing streak after winning a couple weeks ago. So next, I can see RDA taking on uh, Gregor Gillespie or the Conor McGregor fight, right? These guys have been in a position. RDA was the champ. There's so many suitors for Conor, though. I doubt that this is the one that happens based on, you know, what can sell. But it would be a fun fight for fight fans. And for Renato, I think he could take on jo Joel Alvarez or Tiago Moises, which would be straight fucking bangers. All these fighters are on the up and up and uh, would be must-see TV. And then the main event, the very anticipated battle of Miami for the king of Miami. And the fight win is exactly as you'd predict, right? Colby Covington, unanimous decision over Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal. And, uh, you know, Colby, he, he would just control the pace, take Jorge down, and Masvidal would have his moments here and there. But this became a wrestling fight. This became a cardio fight. And this became a scrap that Jorge did not want to be a part of. Again, Colby has thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of hours as a wrestler. Jorge has gotten good wrestlers in his camps. He's prepared for it. But even if you look at the time he's prepared of that with the Usman fights and Colby, it just doesn't stack up and you're not going to be able to just to take that away, right? You're not going to be able to make that a pro Masvidal situation. And Colby is a motherfucker to fight. 
It just shows how good Usman is. There's levels to this. I think Usman is literally at that GSP level. He really is. You know, Jorge has looked improved. He's improved his wrestling, his cardio. But the king roll, king of Miami rolls on and shows how good he is in transitions and all, as an all-around fighter. So statistically, Colby lands 218 total and 94 significant strikes with six takedowns, although in 15 attempts. Bravo, Jorge. And the submission attempt and a reversal compared to Jorge's 90 total and 67 significant strikes. So Colby starts a new winning streak. He keeps his number one contender spot while Jorge is on a three-fight losing streak and moves down one spot to number six. So what's up next? It's really hard to say for Colby, but if Burns does beat Chemayev, maybe he gets Burns or the winner of the Luke Muhammad fight. But for Jorge, I could see Conor McGregor or Sean Brady or maybe even Neil Magny. Again, the Conor McGregor could fight so many people. I think the Jorge fight would be actually higher than the RDA fight, but I think a Sean Brady or Neil Magny is more realistic. So moving on to this weekend, another fight fight night card this Saturday with the 4 p.m. Pacific main card start time. Um, A fight that we're not talking about, Chris Botino's fighting the famous Sean O'Malley punching bag fight. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the guy that is famous for literally being a punching bag. Um, starting in the prelims, we have Miranda Fear the Maverick, 24 years old with an 11-3 and record, taking on Sabina the Colombian Queen Mazo, 24 years old with a 9-3 and record. Now, Miranda has a background in Muay Thai and BJJ with the brown belt in BJJ. She's an Evicta alum. She's young and on her way up. She's on it, but she is on a two-fight losing streak. Now, five of her nine wins are via submission. While Sabina, she trains out of King's MMA. She also has a brown belt in BJJ. She's on a two-fight losing streak. She fought in uh, promotions such as LFA, and she has a four and a half reach advantage in this fight. Now, both fighters are so young; they're the future studs of the division. So this would be a great fight in the prelims, but I like what I've seen from Miranda Maverick. So I'm taking her. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking it down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got JJ Aldrich, the 29 year old fighter with a 10 and four record taking on Jillian, the Savage Robertson, 26 years old with a 10 and six record. Now another very evenly matched fight here on the women's side of the sport. Aldrich is tough as it comes, and Jillian's a little bit younger uh, with a, a pretty good resume as well. Aldrich trains at an elevation fight team. She's a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo with a brown belt in BJJ. She is an Invicta and Ultimate Fighter alum. She's on a two-fight winning streak and has a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Jillian also has a background in BJJ and kickboxing with the black belt and BJJ. She trains out of an American top team with a bunch of killers. She was also an Ultimate Fighter alum, and she's on a one-fight winning streak. I honestly have no idea who to take in this fight. I've been back and forth. My gut's telling me JJ because she is so tough and she has the reach, but Jillian has fought better competition and should level up from those lessons. 
She is a few years younger and, again, trains with the animals at ATT. So I'm going to take Jillian, but I am not touching her on a parlay. Moving on. In the main card, those are the prelims. We have Alex Poetan Pieta, 34-year-old fighter with a 3-1 record, taking on Bruno Blendado Silva, 32 years old with a 22-6 record. Now, Alex is the enigma that beat Izzy in kickboxing. That is literally what he's known for. And that really is his brand. But here he is his biggest test in MMA. And I am fucking tuned up to watch this fight. This could be a fight of the night uh, fight right here. Now, Alex is an orthodox fighter. He has a five-inch reach advantage. Obviously, he has a background in kickboxing and boxing. He trains out of Teixeira MMA with Mr. Glover, the 40-whatever UFC champion. He's a four-fight winning streak with one in the LFA and one in the UFC. And all four wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Bruno is a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum. He's on a seven-fight winning streak with three of them in the UFC and two fight of the nights. And 19 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Again, this is a very hard fight to pick. Both fighters are good strikers. They possess nasty power. I really like what I saw from Bruno live in Vegas when I saw that card. But I am going to take the kickboxer here. I am not confident enough to put this in the parlay as this is a big step up from Mr. Pieta. And then the short notice banger. Drew Dober, 33 years old with a 23-11 and record, taking on Terrence T-Rex McKinney. 27 years old with an 11 and three record. Now T-Rex is back on short notice and this one is going to be a banger. We have the young up and comer and a borderline desperate fighter. A lot of people are going to like Terrence here. Drew, he fights out of the elevation fight team as well. He's got a brown belt in BJJ and a black belt in Taekwondo. He's fought in Bellator. He's an ultimate fighter alum. And he's on a two-fight losing streak, but against the likes of Brad Riddell and Islam Makachev, which is a very, very good talent. And 10 of his 23 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Terrence is on a five-fight winning streak. Two of them are in the UFC, two in the LFA, and seven of his 12 wins are via submission, and five are by knockout. He does have a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, I know Terrence can strike, but I believe he resorts to his wrestling in this fight, and he's going to want to, you know, rely on that with a short notice bout against a high-level striker. Drew's in his prime. He is very experienced. He's desperate for a win. He's got his back against the wall. And if he wants to get back in the rankings and get a title shot, title shot, title shot, he's got to win this fight. Terrence is hot right now. But I'm going with the more experienced fighter in his prime. I'm putting him on my parlay. I'm marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on in the main card. A banger again. Khalil Roundtree Jr. 32 years old with a 10-5 and record. Taking on Carl Baby K. Robertson. The 31-year-old fighter with a 9-4 and record. Honestly, this card is just full of very evenly matched fights. It's crazy. This is another banger that is so close on paper, 
And both fighters are completely fucking jacked. When we look at Khalil, he's a southpaw fighter out of Syndicate MMA and Tiger Muay Thai. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Six of his nine wins are via knockout. And he has a two-and-a-half reach advantage in this fight. Meanwhile, Carl, he trains at a Glory MMA. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak. And four of his nine wins are via submission. I haven't seen a fight where I know both fighters so well and literally can't pick who, is, who I believe is going to win. I'm just going to be on a... I'm just going to go with my gut feeling here. And for this purpose, I, I think this will be a finish. So I'm going to go with Roundtree. I'm putting him on my parlay. A risky business. Marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. God damn, that's a good card, man. We got Sadiq Super Yusuf, the 11-2 record and number 12 next to his name, taking on Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres with the 19-12 record and the number 15 next to his name. When this fight got announced, I was fucking jacked, to say the least. These fighters are so unique. Their styles are so unorthodox. I think it'll make for a great fight, and I can't wait to see what happens. When we look at Sadiq, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak after an impressive six-fight winning streak, and six of his 11 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Alex, he's a southpaw fighter. He is an ultimate fighter alum. He's got a two-and-a-half reach advantage, uh, inch reach advantage in this fight. And he's on a five-fight winning streak. But seven of his 19 wins are via submission. This is a huge fight for both fighters in their careers. I can't wait. But I've liked what I've seen from Al, uh, from uh, Sadiq Youssef more than Caceres just of recently with the level of competition. So I'm taking Sadiq. I'm putting him on my parlay. I'm marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. And then the main event of the evening. We have Magomed Ankalev, 29 years old, with a 16-1 and record, taking and the number 6 next to his name, taking on Tiago Moreta Santos, the 38-year-old fighter, with a 22-9 record, and the number 5 next to his name. Now, this is the classic vet versus young prospect. Magomed's just about to enter his prime. He's not even in his prime. While Santos, he trains out of ATT. He's got a black belt in Muay Thai and BJJ, plus a green rope in Capoeira. He's an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and 15 of his 22 wins are via knockout. He really hasn't put together a full fight, though, since the close loss to John Jones, in my opinion. And debatably, with such a crazy knee injury, you know, can you fully recover from something like that? While Magomed, he's an international master of sport and amateur MMA and a master of sport and combat sambo. He's on a seven-fight winning streak, and nine of his 16 wins are via knockout. Santos very well could take this fight, but at 38 years old, with the damage he has taken, I'm going to go with the younger prospect that's rolling right now, I'm taking Magomed. I'm capping him off on that parlay. I'm marking him down, and we getting this bread. 
Now, coming up next, this next Saturday, we have a UFC fight night, but this is in London. So it's a 10 a.m. prelim and 1 p.m. main card start a little bit earlier, headlined by Alexander Volkov and Tom Aspinall. And it's a deep card for a fight night card. So get strapped in. But we're going to switch our gears to the hardwoods. We're going to talk MMA or MMA, NBA. And for Heat fans, exciting news. Hopefully, you know, he's healthy. Victor Oladipo returning on Monday. Huge asset to the Heat. A guy that they had traded for, hoped to play in. And if he could come in healthy, get some minutes now, he could potentially be a big role player in the playoffs. And I didn't think he'd even come till playoff time, if he came at all. Uh, meanwhile, Zion Williamson returning to New Orleans and the Pelican staff for basketball activities. So signs leading to him potentially returning for the end of the year. Although the Pelicans in the standings, you never know. Uh, Cam Reddish out of out for the season for the Hawks. Uh, I believe he's on the Hawks. He might have been traded. Let's see. Doesn't sound right. On the Knicks. He is with the... Nope. Yep, with the Knicks now. So he's out for the year. The Knicks, you know, more bad news. For the Warriors, James Wiseman cleared for G League play. Another huge piece to a potential contention team. So he gets to get some minutes, try to get some mojo to get back to the squad. Better news for the Warriors, Draymond Green coming back on the 14th. So they're looking to get their pieces back. And Doris Burke signing a nice extension with ESPN to stay part of the NBA crew. Bravo, Miss Doris. But what we're going to do is talk about two teams, break them down a little bit, and then talk about the past week in NBA. The first bit of news is the Brooklyn Nets. We're going to break them down in the East. What a wild fucking ride. Ups and downs the Nets have been. They trade James Harden. Kyrie with no COVID uh, vaccine. Can't play in New York. Can't play at home. They're trying to get him to play. He hoops when he's not. It's a fucking mess. And I can only imagine what KD is thinking. From the injury front, Joe Harris is out. He had ankle surgery, so he, he, you know, he won't be back till next year. Huge loss. Insert Ben Simmons. You know, he's still battling back from injuries and trying to get healthy uh, to be a role player, which I, I assume when they traded for him, they expect him to be an impact player this year. But he also is the younger player on the Harden trade, so maybe long-term, I don't know. And um, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge has been out for a while as he has some hip rehab. So they're missing some pretty key players. Uh, but they did get Seth Curry in the trade, who's been hooping. Um, so we'll see what happens from an injury standpoint. But when we look at the depth chart, right, you add Goran Dragic, the, the veteran point guard. You have Patty Mills, who's been a pretty good playmaker. Uh, Seth Curry, who's one of the higher scorers now. And then you got role players like Andre Drummond, due to the fact, uh, you know, injuries and in trade. Uh, Bruce Brown, who's played at a high level. And then the youngster, and James Johnson, he's still out there hooping. Uh, but then the youngster, Cam Thomas. So when we look at Kyrie and the limited action that he's had this year, he is averaging 27.7 points per game. I mean, he's a certified scorer. I don't think that should come as a surprise. He is also averaging uh, uh, 5.3 assists, which in my mind is a little bit on the low side. Uh, Seth Curry, he, he continually improves and shows that he's not just a shooter. He's averaging 15.1 points per game. 3.3 rebounds and 3.8 assists. So he's doing a little bit of everything. Obviously, that's not all with the Nets. Uh, his numbers actually have increased since he's been with the Nets. 
and we look at his career, how this stacks up in a career standpoint. Let's see. I mean, for the long time, you know, he went from Memphis to Cleveland to Phoenix to Sacramento to Dallas, back to Portland, back to Dallas, and he was never averaging over double digits. Found his spot with Philly, averaged 12, 15, now 15 and a half with, with uh, Brooklyn. I'm assuming he's doing some offseason training with Steph that's helping. Uh, but, you know, a huge piece for, for a, a, a team that needs all the pieces right now. Bruce Brown, not quite as, as a big a season as last year where he, he, he was, you know, really kind of burst onto the scenes. Um, but he's averaging 8.2 points per game, 4.7 rebounds. So still a pivotal piece. He is in the starting lineup. Um, obviously, we got, you know, Mr. Sniper, KD, 29.6 points per game, 7.2 rebounds, and 6.1 assists. This is his highest scoring output since he averaged 32 points with OKC in the 13-14 season. So obviously, they're they're leaning on Kevin. He, he's doing his best. But with all the different lineups, I mean, these guys have had uh, how many starting lineup changes? I can't even count. Um, and then Andre Drummond still doing typical Andre Drummond things: seven point three points, nine point uh, or nine rebounds per game. I mean, this guy is still only twenty eight years old, which kind of shocked me when I saw that. Uh, but he's still getting double doubles. Nick Claxton's been a great piece for the team with more minutes in the rotation: eight point seven points, five point five rebounds. Uh, for Nick Claxton, and he's so young. And then Cam Thomas, you know, he's had a been he's been forced into play. They're they're able to see can this guy actually log playoff rotational minutes. And in his rookie season, he's averaging nine points per game, two point four rebounds, one point three assists. So honestly, Ben Simmons comes in. This team is healthy. They are a true contending team. Even without that, if if Kyrie's able to play throughout the playoffs, they're still a top three team to me. I mean, we look in the standings, they've been all over the place. You know, they are down into the play-in games right now. Uh, but this is a team that no one's going to want to fuck with. Uh, and, and how do you, you stop KD and Kyrie when they're both rolling? So a lot of the things are going to come down to health with the Nets. But this is a team that, you know, pre-James Harden trade, pre-season was uh, potentially the, the, the team to beat. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. I couldn't imagine having to match up with them in a play-in game. We'll see if they can climb out of that. With injuries, though, I doubt that they're able to climb out of the play-in game, but we'll see what happens. And then we're going to go to the West and talk about the LA Clippers, who have kind of been all over in the standings this year as well. Um, right now, they're in the play-in game. Um, they, they were higher up, but they've dealt with injuries. Right now, they have Robert Covington out. They have Paul George out with no timetable to return after the elbow injury. Norman Powell is out. Kawhi Leonard hasn't really had an update. Um, in February, they said he's probably not coming back this season. So we have a very stripped-down Clippers team, but they're still in the playoffs. They still got they still got some some players, and it's really giving guys uh, an opportunity to come to the forefront, like Terrence Mann. Right? He had a huge year last year. He was the Jazz killer. But their starting lineup, they got Reggie Jackson, who has really taken off and, and earned that contract with the Clippers. He's averaging 17 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, and 4.8 assists. When we look at his career, that's arms and legs is best. He did have his his second year in Detroit, an 18.8 per season average, but his first year at the Clippers, he was averaging 9.5, right? So he's really had to burden the load. When you have Kawhi and PG, you don't need to score as much, but he, he's been able to score. They have Amir Kofi, 
Um, in in um, his second season out of Minnesota, averaging 8.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, 1.8 assists. You know, he's becoming a decent role player. You know, shouldn't by any means be a starter. And surprisingly, a guy that I thought would translate to the NBA, Luke Kennard still on a bench roll. He's kind of their sixth man right now. Um, those Duke guys just haven't really translated in the league. Uh, he's averaging 11.7 points per game, which is um, a high in, in, in L.A. His last season in Detroit, when he got uh, traded to the Clippers, he was averaging on just under 16. But he hasn't been able to consistently make those shots. I mean, he's technically a three-point shooter now. This year, he's averaging 45.2% from deep. He had 44% the year before. So he is shooting. You're over 40% of the NBA. That's a pretty high clip. And Marcus Morris, I mean, he's been battling injuries throughout the year, but he's you know quietly averaging 16 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 2.1 assists at 32 years old. He, he's doing the damn thing. And Nicholas Batum, uh, you know, he his numbers aren't as high as we've seen from him. He's averaging 8.3 points, 4.3 rebounds. You know, this is a guy that's averaged as high as 15 points per game with Charlotte. Um, but, you know, they have these older vets in the locker room to help the young guys like Brandon Boston, right, help Terrence Mann. Um, so it's an interesting team. I don't think it's a, a super scary team personally. Uh, Zubox averaging 10 and 8. So he's right there under a double-double, um, which is the best of his career. He's never averaged over 10 points per game, but his usage is a lot higher. So it'll be interesting to see if PG and Kawhi can actually return. I mean, this team is, you know, they're going to be in a play-in game. We'll see what the matchup is. I don't think they, you know, let's see, could they drop out? They could drop out. They probably won't because there are quite a few games ahead of the bottom of the West, and a lot of teams are kind of tanking. Um. This is a team that, you know, next year they're going to be a wild card, right? Kawhi comes in healthy. PG comes in healthy. At least these guys are getting more minutes, and they're going to be able to see who is part of our rotation, who do we want to sign for the long haul. But looking at the games, uh, we'll, we'll pick off uh, this Thursday. The Hawks beating the Bulls in Atlanta. Trey Young popping off for 39-13. and 13. Uh, Vucevic with a nice 21-11. That's more accustomed to what we've seen over the years from Vucevic. And Trey Young doing this on 18 shots, seven of nine from three. I mean that that the you get those efficient lines from Trey Young, they they could really do some things. Although they've they've had their handful of injuries as well. The Celtics beating the Grizzlies in Boston. Tatum popping off for 37, six and five. Ja Morant, his season continues. Man, 38 points, four rebounds, seven assists. Uh, the Heat beating Brooklyn at home, which I believe means no Kyrie which is correct. Um, so as expected, Bam Adebayo, 30 points, 11 rebounds, six assists. I mean, this guy's been in the league a few years already. He's only 24 years old. Uh, Max Struess stepping in with Lowry out, 21 points. Uh, Kayla Martin, 22 points, who's earning a, a full season contract with Miami. And Tyler Harrow, 27 points off the bench. So good bench day for, for Miami. Dallas beating the Warriors at home in Dallas. Luka, just shy of a triple-double, 41-10-9. Steph Curry, 21-5-9 in defeat. Uh, he, he's been struggling a little bit of late, but huge win for the Mavericks. And then the Clippers in the Battle of L.A. beating the Lakers 132-111. to You know, all that stuff we talk about the Clippers, and they're still beating the Lakers 
Uh, LeBron had 26 points to lead the Lakers. Nobody was really helping. Russ Westbrook had 17 points on 16 shots. He was 0 from 2 from 3. They shot 34% um, from the field, which is just atrocious. Oh, no, that's from 3-point. I was like, holy shit. Uh, 34% from 3. The Clippers shot 63% from 3. Marcus Morris was 22, uh, or 2 of 2. Zubox, I don't know, that's... <laughs> To say Zubox three of four of three, goddamn no. Uh, Morris two of three from three. Batum two of two. Reggie Jackson four for eight. Luke Kennard three of four, and Kofi two of three from the bench. But Reggie Jackson led the way with thirty six nine and eight. Have a day, Reggie. Heading into the weekend, um, the Pelicans beating the Jazz in New Orleans, and not just beating them, but waxing them. Uh, Brandon Ingram, 29, 8, and 6. Uh, I don't know what it is about Brandon Ingram and the Jazz, but he turns out to be the best of the best. Um, the Jazz were led by Donovan Mitchell, who had 14 points on 18 shots. I know they're on a road trip, but sheesh, that was brutal for Jazz fans. I, I, was, I had my heart broken. Uh, the Sixers beating the Cavs in Philly. Tyrese Maxey is on fire. 33 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. And the young buck, Darius Garland, 29 with 19 assists. Okay, okay. Uh, but not enough as Philly takes the victory. Uh, the Bulls losing to the Bucks at home, 118 112. Giannis with 34 and 16. Zach Levine back in action, 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists in the defeat. And that's really it. Heading into Saturday. The Heat beating Philly in Miami. Um, no James Harden in this game though. Uh, Joel Embiid with 22 and five to lead the way for Philly. Jimmy Butler had 21 points for Miami. Tyler Harrell with 21 off the bench. That bench roll has been real nice for him this year. And then the Lakers beating the Warriors, which is a little surprising in LA after losing to the Clippers. Um, Steph was there. Clay was there. Ah, it's interesting. Steph Curry had 30 points on 22 shots four and nine from three in defeat. And L.A. LeBron was putting on a show 56 points, 10 rebounds on 31 shots. He went 6 of 11 from 3. King James can still hoop. And he knew that was a primetime game. Moving into Sunday, the Celtics beating the Nets in Boston. Jason Tatum, another 50-burger, 54 and 5. KD with 37, 6 and 8 in defeat. And by the way, Jason Tatum did this on 30 shots, 8 of 15 from 3. Him and LeBron with efficient 50 burgers. God damn. Uh, the Bucks beating the Suns at home. The Suns with a very rare loss. They only have 13 of them on the season. Uh, Chris Middleton with 44, 8, and 5. Meanwhile, DeAndre Ayton with 30 points and 8 rebounds for the young Buck. Nothing really noteworthy. Heading into Monday, the Mavericks beating the Jazz at home. The Jazz's end of their road streak comes to a, a, a big crash. Luka Doncic, 35-16-7. Bojan Bogdanovic leading the way for the Jazz, 21 points. The Sixers beating the Bulls at home, 121-106. Joel Embiid with 43-14. DeMar DeRozan keeping the nice box scores up, 23 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists. The Spurs beating the Lakers is the LeBron has to put 56 up for that win. Uh 117 to 110 in San Antonio. DeJounte Murray, what a player he's becoming. 
26 and 26 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Talon Horton Tucker led the way for the Lakers, 18 points. Let's pull this up. Yeah, geez. Um, Westbrook, only 17 points. No LeBron, I guess it just said his left knee soreness. He had a, had a cool off from the 56-point performance. The Warriors losing again on the road in Denver in mile high. Uh, XMVP Nikola Jokic, 32-15-13 for this, the, the, the cool triple-double. And Jordan Poole popping off for 32 points and 7 assists off the bench. Heading into Tuesday. The Nets beating the Hornets on the road. Kyrie in action and another 50-burger. What a week in the NBA. Kyrie Irving popping off for 50 points, 3 rebounds, and 6 assists. And it was efficient, more efficient than everyone. On 19 shots, 9 of 12 from 3. God damn. Meanwhile, Terry Rozier with 30 points himself. 5 of 11 from 3. And Miles Bridges, 30 points as well. Both efficient lines. Um, just to give you perspective, Rozier and Miles Bridges, 19 attempts, 30 points. Kyrie Irving, 19 attempts, 50. God damn buckets. Woo! Um, you, you know the Nets want to see more of that rolling into the season. Uh, the Warriors beating the Clippers. Warriors getting back on the win train at home. 112-97. Jonathan Kaminga looking good, getting some minutes. 21-6-6. While Harvenstein led the Clippers with 10.6 rebounds, 4 assists for the big man. Going into Wednesday, the Jazz back on the winning track at home, of course. Beating the shit out of the Blazers, 123-85. to Bogdanovich getting hot, his, his wrist looking good. 27 points to lead the way. Boston beating the Hornets on the road, 115-101. Uh, Tatum not quite 50, but 44 points. In the victory, Miles, uh, is it Miles or Mason? Mason Plumlee with 7, 15, and 6 in defeat for the Hornets. And Tatum did this on 24 shots, 6 of 9 from 3. So he is just scorching hot right now. Uh, Phoenix beating Miami in Miami, 111 to 90. Devin Booker, 23, 8, and 9. Bam Adebayo, 17, 6, and 5 in defeat for Miami. This was with Jimmy Butler. Nope, no Jimmy Butler, but Kyle Lowry. So Miami never quite having a full rotation in. It'll be interesting to see how they do with multiple games of the same starting lineup. Milwaukee beating the Hawks in Milwaukee, 124-115. Giannis snaps again, 43-12. Trey Young with 27 points, 11 assists, and defeat. Let's see where these guys efficient. Trey Young on 15 shots, not a terrible night. Giannis on 22 shots. He's always efficient. The Greek freak. Dallas blowing a game at home, losing by 30 to New York. The Knicks of all teams, 107 to 77. Julius Randle with 26, 8, and 5. Luka Doncic, 31, 6, and 4 in defeat. Heading into Thursday, the Nets beating Philly in Philly on the road, 129, 100. Kevin Durant with 25 and 14 to lead the way for um, Brooklyn. Seth Curry with 24, an efficient 24, 4 of 8 from 3. Kyrie with 22, not as efficient on 17 shots. And Joel Embiid, 27 and 12 for the Sixers. They did not have James Harden in this game. Would have been interesting. 
The Warriors beating the Nuggets in Denver this time, 113-102. Obviously, Steph Curry had his fingers all over this one, 34-9 on 21 shots, 5 of 12 from 3. Not quite real Curry numbers, but getting closer. Uh, Jokic with 23-12-9 in defeat. Big win for the Warriors. And that's it in NBA. We're going to talk some freaking college basketball as we have Coach K's final home game, Big C, North Carolina, the big rivalry game, and UNC blows the doors off of Duke. I could not believe it. Um, as we have the conference championships and the bracket reveal coming up, can't wait. Can't wait for that. This Sunday, Johnny Davis gets the Big Ten Player of the Year award. I'm not too surprised about that one. Colin Gillespie, Big East Player of the Year. Ochai Abaji for the Big 12. And Ben Mathurin for the Pac-12. And Oscar Tshwebe for the SEC. There was some good players that could contend for those, but I'm not upset about any of those awards. These guys are big-time playmakers. Final rankings for the season. My overrated, underrated stays pretty similar. I just don't think Arizona is going to be a one-seed team. I don't think they should be. Are they really the one of the best four teams in the country? I would say no. I think Arkansas and Murray State are overrated. Again, it's because of the positioning in the polls. I, I think all of these are good teams. They deserve to be in the tournament. They're going to make a run. Um, I just think they're overrated when it comes to the rankings, right? I think teams below them would be better. Uh, and same with St. Mary's and Tennessee. I think they're just a little high. The underrated team I have is Ohio State. Is they're not in the rankings, I feel like they deserve to be there. I mean, come on. They got some talent, right? The B- Mikhail Branham, dude, he's a young stud. They have Liddell, who's only stepped up his game after not declaring. So um, that's my overrated, underrated. I know it's not a lot different than typical. But it'll be fun to see how this compares, right? Once the tournament comes out, I give you guys my prediction. It's like, oh, were those overrated teams getting beat out earlier? Like, your boy told you so. Your boy was there. He's, he, he was trying to tell you. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about um, what's happened in college basketball this this this, um, this past week as we enter enter the tournament here. Hold on. All right. So, tuning into Thursday, Ohio State beating Michigan by eleven. Speaking of Ohio State, Branham with a nice twenty-two four and four line. Iowa beating Michigan on the road, 82-71. to Obviously, Mr. Murray, a, a close to Big Ten Player of the Year, with 23-7. Hunter Dickinson with 21-11 in defeat. Nothing on Friday. Heading into Saturday. Kansas beating Texas in overtime, down to the wire. Courtney Ramey with 18-7 in defeat. And McCormack really coming into his own with 22-10 for the Jayhawks. Purdue beating Indiana by two at home. Um, let's see. 69 to 67. Uh, Jackson Davis, Indiana's main guy with 15 points. They also had Xavier Johnson with 18 and 12. Nice game for the point guard. Um, for Purdue, not their typical names, but Eric Hunter leading the way uh, with 17 points for the Boilermakers as they continue to roll. Oklahoma State upsetting Texas Tech at home 52 to 51. Um, 
Wow. Uh, Texas Tech was led by Kevin O'Banner, who had 16 points. And their star, Bryson Williams, only 13 points on 13 shots. Tough game for the Red Raiders. Uh, Oklahoma State's had some nice upsets, and they were led by a bench player this game. They were led by Rondell Walker, who had 12 points off the bench. Big SEC matchup. Tennessee squeaks by Arkansas 78-74. Viscovi with 15-4-4. And and J.D. Note with 20 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, and defeat. A big win for Tennessee. Some Pac-12 action. UCLA beating USC 75-68. Jaquez Jr. with a big line, 27-6-4. And And Isaiah Mobley with 20 points, 8 rebounds, and defeat. Big win by UCLA. LSU upsetting Alabama in overtime, although I don't know how much of an upset it is. Um, as Alabama was 25th in the rankings. I mean, they're technically ranked. Uh, but Alabama was led by Keon Ellis, who had 19 points in defeat. And LSU was led by Darius Days, who had 24.7 rebounds for the Tigers. And Tari Eason staying hot off the bench. Still not too sure why he plays off the bench, but it is what it is. 20 points, 9 rebounds uh, for LSU in the big upset. Trying to earn that tournament spot. And Wisconsin dropping to Nebraska at home. This is wild. Uh, Davidson leading the way with 20 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. But Nebraska uh, had a guy pop off for 26 points. That is Alonzo Verge, Verge Jr., Brutal loss for Wisconsin as they're trying to make their run for a 1-2 seed. More likely a 2 seed. Uh, that loss isn't going to help them. One of my overrated teams over the year, Houston, taking a loss um, on the road to Memphis. Memphis trying to earn that tournament spot as well. So big game, uh, big win for Penny Hardaway's crew. Houston was led by Kyler Edwards, who had 19.7 rebounds, but it wasn't enough. Memphis shot 46.7% from three. Although no one popped off on the box score, they were led by Tyler Harris, who had 15 points off the bench. Illinois beating Iowa at home, 74-72. Good Big Ten action here. All, all Obviously, Kofi Coburn leaving, leading Illinois, 21-14. Iowa uh, was led by... Keegan Murray, who had 22-11 and 11 in the loss for Iowa. And then Michigan, I don't think they can make the tournament, but hey, they beat Iowa State on the road 75-69. EJ Liddell was 16-13 and 13 in defeat. And for Michigan, Devontae Jones uh, with 21 points, 9 rebounds. Good performance by the senior for Michigan. Heading into Monday... Nothing of note. Tuesday, Gonzaga beating St. Mary's 82-69 to in the uh, West Coast Conference Tournament. Um, Nembard led Gonzaga with 19-7. and And for St. Mary's, they were led by Logan Johnson, who had 21 points for St. Mary's. Close game though, six or not as close as the first. Obviously, the first game St. Mary's won, sixty-nine to eighty-two. Gonzaga's trying to prove a point here, and we got conference tournaments kicking off this week with a lot of action starting on Thursday. So we'll track those on the next episode to see what's happening for the conference tournaments. As the bracket reveal is this Sunday, 
the madness begins. My favorite time of the year, first weekend, March Madness. Basketball, basketball, you got it. More basketball, you got it. Free agency in NFL, you got it. MLB hot stove because of the lockout. Sports, sports, and more freaking sports. But we're going to talk Supercross. Man, what a duel this has been. Uh, just a season battle between Jason Anderson and Malcolm Stewart. They duel it out. Their ends in a wreck. More drama in the 450. In the 250, McAdoo with a strong finish after starting 7th out the gate. And what a day for Styles Robertson on the Husqvarna machine. Getting the whole shot and finishing on the podium. Uh, changing it up a little bit on the 250. But the 250 is pretty set in stone. Uh, Jet Lawrence with the first place finish. Robertson sneaking in with that second place. Cameron McAdoo third. So when we look at the points, Lawrence in first at 73. McAdoo only uh, five behind at 68. And Robinson in third, quite a ways behind at 52. Enzo Lopez in fourth with 50. And again, this is all about the ongoing beef and recklessness of Jason Anderson and Malcolm Stewart. Uh, the way it, it tracked out in the 450, Eli Tomac, just Mr. Consistency getting first. No fucking surprise here. A uh, Cooper Webb back on the podium with a second place finish. Uh, Chase Sexton third, the young buck on the, um, the Hunt team Honda. Uh, Cooper, or what, uh, Dylan Frandis with the fourth place finish, Justin Barsha fifth, Marvin Muskan sixth, Kenny Roxon in a sad seventh place finish, Malcolm Stewart eighth, and Jason Anderson ninth. So when we look at the points, Eli Tomac clearly ahead uh, in first place, Jason Anderson in second at 185, Cooper Webb 15 points behind and 170, Malcolm Stewart in fourth, six behind at 164. Chase Sexton only one point back from him at 163. Justin Barsh is right there at 163 as well. And then Muscan and Ken Roxon quite a ways behind what sets us up for round 10 in Detroit. Around the sports world, some other hitters, the MLB Players Association launching the million dollar fund for stadium workers during the lockout, which is great to see. You know, there's a lot of jobs affected when lockouts happen, especially in baseball. You know, all the all the facilities people. Uh, so great to see they're doing that. In, in, in college football news, Jaden Daniels transfers to LSU from Arizona State. LSU getting a new uh, dual threat quarterback. In uh, baseball news, Apple TV to air Friday night games, which is great because baseball is never on freaking TV and us baseball fans hate it. It drives me freaking crazy. When we look at it, you have NFL, free network TV, NBA and NHL, basic cable, MLB, increasingly on higher tier cable, and now on additional streaming service. You know, with this lockout, the owners are getting their money, but the game is increasingly out of sight and out of popular consciousness. That was a tweet I saw, and fully true. It's kind of bullshit, honestly. Um, so we'll see what happens, but uh, hey, at least we could get some games on a paid, extra paid subscription. Um, but yeah, uh, MLB gets the deal done official today. Uh, Passan ends up breaking the news and his Twitter was hacked that day by some Bitcoin guys, uh, which is hilarious. Um, Universal DH is staying, which is great. Um, I, I hate, I don't like the pitching, the, the pitchers hitting. Um, so this starts, this starts the free agency window. Martin Perez signs with the Rangers. AJ Ramos signs a minor league deal with the Angels. I'm just excited about moves, so I'm going to give you some Angels news, even though it was a minor league deal. 
Carlos Rodon burns it off, starts it off the gates. Two-year, $44 million with the Giants. They have determined that the doubleheaders won't be seven innings anymore, but there might potentially be ghost runners and extras that hasn't been ironed out yet. Uh, a 12-team postseason, which is a massive, massive win. I would have liked 14. Uh, players can be optioned five times a season. Canada is blocking the non-vaccine players into Canada, so for Toronto games, issues there. And March 16th, next week, we will talk about the Bald Face Lodge Natural Selection. It had already happened, but it'll be airing on Red Bull TV. Can't wait to see that. Bald Face is a fucking beautiful place. Snow conditions looking great. And Joe Buck, Joe Buck headed to ESPN to be the voice of Monday Night Football with partner Troy Aikman. So maybe, just maybe, just maybe... Monday Night Football is going to be worth watching. That is a big step up, although I am more of a CBS guy personally. But hey, lots of fucking action in the sports world. I am so tuned up for what's to come. Episode 73, sponsored by Fueled Supplements. You're buying supplements. You need some protein. You want some fuel, you know, some multivitamins. You need some athletic greens. Whatever it is, check them out. FueledSupplements.com. Big things going on. Support small business. We all got to help each other out. Thanks for tuning in. If you guys want me to talk about something specifically, I'm going to be transitioning to MMA only. You want me to dive into the tournament team. You want me to talk about NBA. You want me to talk about NFL. I'll be doing baseball predictions soon. Whatever it is, let me know. Hit me up in the DMs. Add the comments. Appreciate the support. Can't wait for the future. We'll see you next week.